I'm John Crawl. Today on No Limits, we're going to talk about an effort to close Indiana's skills gap, the distance dividing employers who need workers with specific abilities and the people who might be able to supply those skills. It is called Ascend Indiana. My guests are Jason Cloth, President and CEO of Ascend Indiana, Michael Huber, President and CEO of the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce, and Kathleen Lee, Chancellor of Ivy Tech Community College, Central Indiana. Please join the conversation. Call 866-476-3881, email nolimits at wfyi.org, Facebook is No Limits WFYI, Twitter is WFYI. Now, this news. Welcome to No Limits. I am John Crawl, Director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the StatehouseFile.com, and your host. We're going to be talking today uh, about a new initiative from the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership called Ascend Indiana. But more broadly, we're going to be talking about uh, the skills gap and the changing role and needs of, of labor and business in this evolving uh, global economy. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. You can send us an email at nolimitswfyi.org. Find us on Facebook at nolimitswfyi or on Twitter at WFYI. My guests are Jason Cloth. He is the president and CEO of Ascend Indiana. Michael Huber, president and CEO of the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce and Dr. Kathleen Lee, who is the Chancellor of Ivy Tech Community College, Central Indiana. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's it's good to have you here. And I should say to our listeners, yes, we are aware that there's a big announcement involving Carrier. Um, We have a crew there. They are covering it. And we will have news coverage of the Carrier announcement uh, in, in a little while. And in some ways, this relates to that, that question, too. So I'm going to start first. Uh, Jason, I think you're the natural one by, uh, by asking you to, to talk a little bit about what Ascend Indiana is and what it does. Sure. So Ascend Indiana um, is the first cross-sector initiative of the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership. Uh, the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership uh, represents 50 of our largest employers, the presidents of our public universities, and Ivy Tech Community College. Uh, as well of, as three of our uh, city's largest foundations. Um, but our vision is really straightforward. It's to ensure that every employer has access to the talent that they need to thrive and to grow, and for every citizen to be able to pursue a meaningful, self-sustaining career path. Uh, and we really approach that in four key ways. The first is by going out and directly engaging with employers, asking them what their needs are, so concretely, if you're United Healthcare, what are the 200 jobs that are open and what are the knowledge and skill requirements for those jobs? The second is working alongside uh, career and technical education, two-year institutions like Ivy Tech or Vincennes, uh, and four-year institutions, colleges and universities, um, to identify and connect talent to those available jobs. And we do that in a few ways. Uh, We're building a technological tool to do it, but we're also going to be fielding uh, members of our staff uh, working in partnership with career service offices. Um, And then the third is actually building new talent pipelines. So when there's a divide between demand and supply, uh, we have a team that will actually work alongside employers and universities to create new programs uh, to to meet those needs. we are recently completed the development of a nursing program to do just that. And then finally is learning and continuous improvement, feeding all that information back uh, to our higher education institutions, uh, to employers, and then ultimately to inform public policy. And that's really where our relationship with the Chamber of Commerce uh, comes in, given their active role in that space. So, Michael, Kathleen, I'm going to throw the next Why is this so important? I'll go with Michael first, but then Kathleen gets the last word. So um, it's it's a it's a it's a problem um, with uh, 
the the dynamics of the world, and and, and mm-hmm. it's a national a national international problem, but it impacts Indiana in really significant ways, John. So, if you think about what our most significant employment sectors are that provide mm-hmm. jobs, um, especially uh, high and middle middle wage jobs, it's life sciences. When you think about the cluster of Eli Lilly. Um, Roche Diagnostics, Cook Medical, Dow Agri-Sciences. It's advanced manufacturing with Cummins and Rolls-Royce and Allison Transmission and companies like that. It's technology with Salesforce, formerly Exact Target, companies like that. What what they all have in common is they're evolving very fast, and the way that they produce their goods and services is constantly changing uh, in a more competitive world. And that means the jobs necessary to power those industries are changing as well. Um, it's becoming more and more common if you're a member of the workforce, especially if you're supporting one of those industries, and we use the generic term advanced industries, that your job is going to be changing very, very regularly. So, therefore, that just that means that employers have to be much more locked in with the educational sector to prepare students for those kinds of changes, to put, stu- to put, put uh, employees on a path of continuous learning for their whole life because um, this, this, this era of I get a job and uh, this is my job for the rest of my career, uh, those jobs are becoming much, much more rare. And I think we saw that play out in the most recent uh, uh, election cycle. Well, in some ways, Kathleen, we're also – talking about an evolving world and economy in which you can't even say, this is my career for the rest of my career. <laughs> We're seeing entire entire professions, um, you know, skill sets that evaporate on us. Oh, that's true. And I th- think with the students that um, are out there that are looking for a career, what excites us about Ascend is the idea of this cross-sector approach. Um, we feel like at, I think, most of the colleges and universities that we're always chasing the curriculum. How do we stay up with the needs? How do we help the students understand that what you learn at the end of this particular degree is not, as Michael said, what you're going to need for the duration of uh, a professional career? We know that these students are going to change jobs much more often than um, the previous generations did. And so by having a program like this in place in central Indiana, it allows us to have that close partnership with the employers that we've desired and find out what the pathway is. makes it a lot easier for us to say to a student walking in the door uh, at Ivy Tech or uh, an IUPUI or a Vincennes, here's a pathway. Here's what the pathway looks like. Here's the employer that's sitting at the end of the pathway. And we can push you toward your first job and give you the skill sets that you'll need for jobs that come after that. But we need the employer's help in that. It's not something we can do by ourselves. If you're just joining us, we are we are talking more broadly about uh, the skills gap and an evolving uh, labor market here in Indiana. Uh, if you would like to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. You can send us an email at nolimitswfyi.org. Find us on Facebook at nolimitswfyi or on Twitter at WFYI. So, Kathleen, I'm going to stick with you on this one, but I'd like to hear everybody's thoughts uh, on it. I mean, to some degree, what we're talking about is is attempting to guide the market <laughs> um, and to help help pair, pair things. <laughs> Is this the wave of the future? I mean, a classic theory says that, you know, that if there is a need, someone will spring up to meet it. But to some degree, we're, we're trying to help that process along and speed it, speed it up. Are we going to see more of this in the future? Oh, I think so. Um, I think we have to make the current or the up-and-coming workforce or those folks who want to upskill understand what today's workforce looks like. Uh, Here in Indiana, I think there's a feeling for many that uh, our advanced manufacturing world is still dark and dirty and dangerous. And if you've been in any of the plants um, around Indiana, you know, you can eat off their floors. They're probably cleaner than my kitchen. Um, It's incredible what the plants look like, how organized they are, and how automated they are. So the skill sets... Uh, are be very specific and require additional training, but it's helping folks understand that these are incredibly good jobs that uh, are here for the duration um, in some format. They're going to be constantly evolving and changing. But yeah, I I do think it's a a change from how we've done things in the past, and we have to make um, folks understand where the job is. 
a few years ago, there was a huge nursing shortage, I should say, more like a decade ago. There was a huge, huge um, nursing shortage, and various companies stepped up, and all you had to do is flip on the television. You saw nothing but ads about how wonderful going into nursing was, and we directed a whole generation of folks to nursing. Now, we can still use more nurses, don't get me wrong, but people don't understand the whole level of opportunities that are out there because they don't know what's out there. Michael. Yeah, it, 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 it's an interesting question, John, because in some ways, um, we, I guess I'll throw this to Jason in a moment, but um, Ascend Indiana is not a government program. It's no. a private sector and philanthropically funded program. So in some ways at the, at the chamber, an organization of over 1,800 businesses, in some ways it represents the private sector stepping up and trying to both uh, do what's right for the community but also recognize its own self-interest. And the best, the best uh, example I can think of is – in advanced manufacturing, which will continue to be a very strong sector for central Indiana, even with, with some of these short-term mm-hmm. um, you know, changes that employers are going through, it's going to be a very strong sector for us. This is anecdotal, but by far the most common feedback that we hear from our members in manufacturing is, hey, we're having trouble recruiting employees who can, who, who can do the hardware upgrades necessary for our, um, um, an increasingly automated production line, who understand how to run the software, who understand something about robotics, right? And until the creation of Ascend Indiana, there wasn't sort of a central repository. There'd be institutions with good programs that we could refer them to. But that's why at the Chamber we're very excited that that's a perfect kind of an instance where we can refer those companies to Jason and figure out, you know, who's, who's, got, who's got the best program tailored to that skill set that, in this case, a manufacturer is looking for. Well, and I guess where, where I was going with that, yeah, you're, you're definitely right that, that it is a private sector response to this. The part that I find fascinating about it, though, is that businesses, at least in, in theory, who might be competing with each other, yeah. are instead right. collaborating to try to meet what is a common or shared need. You know, it's interesting <clears> – <throat> I think what Michael has spoken to anecdotally as well as Kathy um, is this growing sense amongst individual employers that um, they don't necessarily have access to the talent they need uh, to grow. Uh, But when you look at the numbers of what's occurring in our economy today, uh, 62% of Indiana jobs by 2020 will require some kind of post-secondary education. That could be a meaningful certificate, a two-year degree, a four-year degree or beyond. Uh, But when you look at the residents of central Indiana, only 42% of our working age adult population has that requisite level of education. So if you just apply that gap to the working age adults, you're looking at 215,000 too few people with the education they need. Um, And so that is a a statistical analysis as to how significant the the gap and the challenge we face is. Um, And so, you know, in a labor market like that, I think we're going to see growing uh, income inequality. We're going to see a growing impact on city government and its ability to fund um, streets and schools and um, the elements that make for great communities. And so I think this is a, a recognition amongst the private sector that we have to tackle it. Yeah, go ahead. The Mike. point, the, the point, the, the question about, um, you know, is it counterintuitive because it's, is it, is it employers helping, um, helping their own competition uh-huh. is interesting. And we're definitely in a new era because, and, and people like Richard Florida, like skill sets are clustering together now more than ever. And, and, you know, the, the younger the workforce gets, the more mobile they are. And so like, if in, in Indianapolis, if you want to work in uh, software as a service or SaaS in um, electronic marketing, I would argue we're the best city in the world, maybe us in Silicon Valley. And that's a very specific sector. Um, other very specific disciplines like that, um, we attract to Indianapolis. So in a sense, if you can get the employers to buy in and to your point to see that we're developing this very specific skill set and, and growing this sector, we're going to look past our short-term competition and grow this sector, um, the, the size of the pie increases because we're bringing in wealth from all over the world to grow our very specific skill sets in life sciences or tech or manufacturing. Are there, is this being done elsewhere or are we ahead of the curve or are we riding the wave? So we are, we are definitely ahead of the curve. Um, we uh, had a year uh, to really plan and build Ascend um, with input from uh, several employers as well as our higher education institutions. So we looked at what was happening around the country 
Um, and there are a number of cities and regions and states that are trying to tackle this um, and taking different approaches, but that number um, is you know, less than a handful. Um, and so I think we have a real opportunity to be at the, the leading edge of this work. We are talking about uh, an attempt to close the skills gap here in Indiana and particularly central Indiana. Uh, it's a new initiative called Ascend Indiana that is product of the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership. My guests are Jason Cloth. He is the president and CEO of Ascend Indiana. Michael Huber, who is the president and CEO of the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce. And Dr. Kathleen Lee, who is the chancellor of Ivy Tech Community College, Central Indiana. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. Send us an email at nolimits at wfyi.org. Find us on Facebook at nolimitswyi or on Twitter at WFYI. I'm John Crawl. You're listening to No Limits. Please stay with us. Welcome back to No Limits. I am John Crawl, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the statehousefile.com, and your host, we're talking about a new initiative uh, from the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership called Ascend Indiana that is designed to help close the skills gap. My guests are Jason Cloth, He's the president and CEO of Ascend Indiana. Michael Huber, who is the president and CEO of the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce. And Dr. Kathleen Lee, chancellor of uh, Ivy Tech Community College, Central Indiana. If you want to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. So uh, before we went to this, we talked about how this is uh, a new kind of relationship uh, among people who generally would be competing with each other now are are collaborating. Where I'm uh, where I'm going with this is, uh, you know, for things like this to work, for us to really close the skills gap, do we have to change the <laughs> the relationship between labor? and employers to make it a much less adversarial one than it has has been in the past. I think I gave Jason the first word last time. I'll give it to Michael, then Kathleen, and then uh, I want to hear everyone's thoughts on this, though. And then Jason, we'll, we'll bat clean up. Hmm. Well, it's a, it's a provocative question. I think the answer is definitely yes. And, and so when you say the relationship between labor and employers, I start to think, I think certainly broadly speaking, not just not just traditional Union labor and employers. I'm just thinking about the the the, the, the labor force in general. I, I think we're seeing employers um, reach out more and invest more um, upfront, and that's in the time and financially um, in uh, talent attraction and talent retention in general. That's something that we're def- that we're definitely seeing. Um, employers, especially in fields like manufacturing and like tech, become much more aware of the career path that they need to put an employer, an employee on in order to um, both attract and retain their most talented people. Um, you know, with the, with the younger generations, you also tend to have higher turnover. Uh, some people say, in, uh, you know, lower uh, loyalty to an employer. But um, those transition costs of losing an employee when you've invested significant amounts of money are, are uh, significant. But then from a community standpoint, Indianapolis and the entire region does better the more um, technology, you know, technology professionals we have, the more life sciences professionals we have. Um, so, yeah, I, I, we're seeing employ, employers step out a lot more and engage with institutions like Ivy Tech to try to get out in front of the problem so they can attract and retain better talent. Kathleen. Yeah, I think it's important as we bring students on board, of course, we're attempting to give them the technical skills to be a good employee, but we also need to lead them in the discussion. And and as Michael said, that's where the employers being involved with us are really helpful because we need the students to understand that global perspective of how this industry here in central Indiana fits in a larger market and a larger world and what their role in the being part of the workforce in that market is. And so understanding that relationship that exists between uh, labor and management and um, the employer and, and going to work for somebody, and it doesn't really matter which somebody, but that um, that they have that bigger picture understanding, not just the ability to toggle a switch um, or uh, code a, a line of uh, code or whatever, 
but that we help them be good corporate citizens. To do that, that's where we need the employers to come alongside us to be part of that um, conversation early on uh, with students as we move them forward in their education so they're getting a well-rounded education. Jason. So I think absolutely, and I think we see this happening all across the region where employers uh, are coming to the table and making significant investments in their labor force and then partnering with higher education institutions uh, to do that. So one great example is the work that Cook has done with Ivy Tech down in Bloomington, uh, investing in their labor so that they can get additional education that aligns to meet the needs of Cook. Um, you see this at companies like Wabash National, Community Health. Um, you know, There's another large employer that we're working with right now to build a talent pipeline in partnership with the university where um, they're going to invest in those uh, students getting their degrees, um, invest in them getting specific training through internships, uh, and then invest in them as employees um, down the road. And so I, I think this is you know, the type of uh, evolution that we can expect in the 21st century in econo- economy in the innovation economy. We're talking about uh, closing the skills gap here in in central Indiana. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can call us at 866-476-3881. You can find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI, on Twitter at WFYI, or you can do what a listener named Ben has done and send us an email at nolimits at WFYI.org. Ben writes, there seems to be a general feeling slash consensus that millennials are more entrepreneurial than past generations. And he says, in parentheses, although I do not have the data to back that up. I would be interested to hear the panel's thoughts on why millennials are more entrepreneurial as opposed to working for others. And if so, whether that trend is a response to their sense of job insecurity and volatile job markets. So yeah, there's actually conflicting research on this topic. Uh, there is on so many things. Nodding heads, <laughs> nodding heads yeah. Jason and Dr. Lee. Um, so, so, but what we do know is um, the the millennial generation is more mobile than any ger- generation before them. The the um, the what people thought was a um, sort of a. Uh, um, a fluke has become a, a demographic shift, and that is uh, millennials. It's much more common for a millennial than a Gen Xer or a baby boomer to choose the city that he or she wants to live in and then, you know, figure out the job, uh, exactly what job, than to um, tie himself or herself to, to a community. Um, now, that being said, common skill sets are clustering now more than ever right so if you are if you are a, a technologist if you're a software developer certainly silicon valley is one of the best places to be in the world we could make a really strong case for indianapolis if you're interested mm-hmm. in marketing tech or saas or other mm-hmm. uh, tech sectors but that is definitely something that has driven uh, significant demand for this program as employers look at how can i make the right investments and attract and retain um, a, a, a better workforce um, in in light of these changes, uh, that like those that Ben is pointing out, we're talking about closing the skills gap here on No Limits. Joan, welcome to the program. Hi. Uh, hi. I What's have a on your mind? About um, it sounds like that most of this is focusing on the uh, employers and and uh, students going in, into the uh, job force, and I'm wondering, does that mean that requires any, you know, in the future that you need to go to college in order to get a job? Uh, what about the people that haven't gone to college? And then on top of that, what is this organization going to do? Many of these companies that are supporting this retraining have also outsourced hundreds, if not thousands, of jobs to other countries or to, um, uh, to companies that do the outsourcing. What, what can this organization do to help uh, do kind of what Trump is doing today and negotiating with these companies to see how do we keep them here and these employees to stay. Thanks very much for the call in and the questions. And I should remind our listeners that, yes, we will be covering the carrier announcement uh, later today. We've got a team out there. Jason, I want to hear your response. Sure. So I think um, much of what's happening uh, today, and I think we saw this Uh, certainly in the election, is um, changes that are occurring in our economy 
in part due to free trade policies, but also largely due to technological advances, um, automation, uh, robotics, artificial intelligence. Um, and so the culmination of all of that is an increasing number of jobs are going to require some level of higher education. That doesn't necessarily mean that that is a four-year degree. That could very well be an associate degree uh, from a community college or a certificate, a specialized type of training that aligns to a job that's going to lead into the middle class. Uh, but I think without question, there's going to be a need for higher levels of education. So then to the second part, which is how do we uh, make sure that we're not only focusing on students that are moving through, but the incumbent workforce, um, how are we going to make sure that those individuals have access to the training and the educational attainment they need to take those um, uh, higher paying jobs that lead into the middle class? And so I think the Commission for Higher Education uh, has done a lot to encourage students to go back uh, that have some level of education and complete their degree. You see a lot of investment on the parts of employers through tuition reimbursement programs and partnerships with organizations like College for America, WGU, that allow uh, those that are working to get a, a higher level of education that's paid for by uh, the employer uh, themselves. Um, but we have to look at more strategies like that, expanding those so that we have um, people who can who can take those higher uh, paying jobs that require a higher level of educational attainment. Well, that gets to my, my next question is, do we need to change ultimately the way we we do education um, in this country and in this world? And, you know, not, I'm not just talking about the classroom, but, you know, many of the models, like the, the funding model to to send young people to school presumes, okay, you've got four years and that's how long we're going to help fund you to do this. And, you know, basically, if your skill set, uh, you know, becomes somewhat obsolete or at least dated uh, after, you know, a decade or two decades, tough. You know, you either have to depend upon a future employer or your current employer to help you with this or you're stuck. Um have to find a way yourself. Do we need to look at new models of structuring education and paying for education? I'm going to start with Kathleen, but I see both Jason and Michael nodding their heads, so I think they want to speak to this too. Well, and it'll be interesting to see if we think the same thing, because we may not, but um, I do think so. It's In many ways, we need to return to things that we did before a little bit when we focused a little bit more, and I'll say on vocational education. Some folks don't like to use that phrase, but the the whole idea of aligning with the workforce. And here in Indiana, we have some wonderful career and technical ed centers in the high school, but we need to be sure that they're working on current and offering training that's current and will get someone with that training into the workforce or into um, certification programs. We also have a tendency when somebody says, well, you need college, to automatically assume they're talking about a four-year degree. And that's just not the case. The studies have shown that about 50% of the jobs of the future will need a sub-baccalaureate. So whether it's an associate degree Many of them won't even need that. It's the certifications and the technical certificates, which could be a 12-week training program resulting in a certification like an MSSC that is recognized in particular industry sets. I think we've tended to, over the, the last little while, gloss over some of those technical skill sets and push everybody toward a bachelor's degree, which just isn't what the industry needs now. We've lost our middle class. We've lost those blue-collar workers who have very particular skill sets that are so vital to uh, our economy. And, Go ahead, Michael. And ironically, um, uh, Jason uh, with Ascend, um, Kathy at, at Ivy Tech, there are, there's a lot of available data on what are those those most in-demand skill sets in our, in our labor market. And the irony is um, many of those skill sets are um, – technical jobs that don't require a four-year degree. They require some sort of either associates or certification. And I think part of it, uh, you know, from the Chamber's perspective, we're more generalists because we work with, with many, many different industries, but is the the image, we got to rebuild the image of 
um, you know, some would say vocational, some would say career and technical education. Um, as as Joel Reuter, my colleague, who's, who's among the leadership at Rolls Royce, would say, he says many of the uh, the manufacturing open job openings that we have at Rolls Royce look more like tech jobs. Mm-hmm. And and there, the, you, where, like I said earlier, you get to work with robotics, you get to work with software. Sometimes you get, in some cases, virtual reality, and they don't necessarily require a four-year degree. So some of that, I think, is is rebuilding the image of uh, of manufacturing jobs and, and career and technical education to reflect what it really is in our modern age. Jason, yeah, <clears throat> so I think two thoughts. The first is, if you look at our society over time. You know, when we were in an agrarian economy and 80% of our workforce uh, were actually involved in the, in the process of farming, you know, we had a, a common school education uh, and a, a calendar year that took summers off. Then we moved into an industrial economy and we required higher levels of education. And in many ways, that education mirrored the experience that students would have as they entered into the workforce. Um, and today we're in the innovation economy, the knowledge-based economy, and I think the the very clear realization is that there are going to be higher levels of education required to participate in that economy. And so we have to then say, are we doing enough to increase access to higher education? But not only increasing access to higher education, but ensuring that students are concentrating in fields um, that align to where there are likely to be jobs within the labor market so that people can enter into the middle class and find that job, and then uh, making sure that our students are completing those degrees um, to the degree that that's uh, within the locus of control of our institutions. Uh, Commissioner Braun often says we need to make sure that people get the right skills at the right time and in the right way or something to that effect, and I think that's a really good way of looking at it uh, in in this economy. And, and I don't want to lose the other point of that, though, is the mid-career re-education opportunities was part of the, the question, too. I think, you know, in my, my business, I'm I'm old enough that, you know, I entered communications when the telegraph was considered cutting-edge communications technology. I'm exaggerating somewhat for effect here. But, you know, that's happening all across the economy right now. And, again, the mechanisms for retraining or refreshing skills haven't caught up with the pace of that change. What do we do about that, Jason? So I think one of the movements in higher education that I'm uh, interested in is this shift towards increasingly competency-based education that's delivered in a way that it hasn't been uh, historically. So I think those of us that... Uh, went to a traditional four-year college, have memories of going and having 15 credit hours, sitting uh, in a seat in a classroom for those for a number of hours. And the question, uh, to get to your point about the incumbent workforce, how we deliver that additional education um, in the future is, is going to change. We have to have different delivery models. And so competency-based programs like College for America or WGU, and I know there's some experimentation with this within other institutions where students can do this work online, get feedback from professors uh, and instructors on their work as they go, um, which allows them to do that in a more flexible way uh, where they demonstrate mastery of a subject as opposed to uh, being in a class for a certain number of hours. I think we need to take those models seriously uh, so that we can deliver education and additional training uh, to people who are who are working. And that was the theme of uh, actually an earlier show we did with Jamie Marisotis, who's who's argued for for that. Michael, you wanted to say something. It's not mutually exclusive either to mm-hmm. the benefits of liberal arts education, because I, I was afraid mm-hmm. Jason is about to get mean tweets from liberal arts uh, advocates. <laughs> um, I, I was a liberal arts major, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, <laughs> because because a lot of those same employers who come to us saying. Um, we want we want em- employees that we can grow and 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 understand automation. They also say to us, we're looking for employees that we can develop on a career path and position them to take on more responsibility and leadership. And a lot of that involves picking up soft skills, writ- written communication, verbal communication that you do also that benefit from a liberal arts education. So we don't I know we don't see it as a, a two sided argument uh, between competency based and and liberal arts. We are talking about closing the skills gap uh, through a new initiative called Ascend Indiana. 
here on No Limits. My guests are Jason Cloth of Ascend Indiana, Michael Huber with the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce, and Kathleen Lee, who is with Ivy Tech Community College, Central Indiana. I'm John Kroll. You're listening to No Limits. Please stay with us. Welcome back to No Limits. We are talking about Ascend Indiana, uh, uh, which is an initiative of the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership to close the skills gap in Central Indiana. I am John Crawl, your host. My guests are Jason Cloth. He is the president and CEO of Ascend Indiana. Michael Huber, president and CEO of the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce, and Dr. Kathleen Lee, who is chancellor of Ivy Tech Community College, Central Indiana. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can send us an email at nolimitswfyi.org. You can find us on Facebook at nolimitswfyi, on Twitter at WFYI, or you can do what a listener named Aaron has done and give us a call at 866-476-3881. Aaron, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. What's on your mind? Well, um, I work at a technical college, um, our graduates can get a, a certificate for a very specific career path, and uh, we are a for-profit school. And I find that we are often vilified in the media uh, because we make money. And I've often wondered what can be done uh, to sort of change that perception and to help people realize that just because our company makes money doing what we do, uh, that doesn't detract from the value of the career path that we can put our students on. Thanks very much for the call and the question. I'll throw that one to Jason. Well, I think it's a, a great question, and thank you for calling in and asking it. Um, you know, I think the key to that really is speaking to the outcomes for students that uh, receive that technical education um, and when that education is um, related to a certificate that leads to a job that pays a self-sustaining wage. And when that's done with incredible consistency, um, then I think that getting that message out will be the key to to addressing those concerns over time. Uh, so I don't think it's appropriate um, that uh, you know, private for-profit colleges be vilified. I think um, the best way, though, to, to address that is to get the message out about what it is that's being achieved to the benefit of those that are obtaining that education. Gotten an email uh, question from a listener named Allie. And again, if you'd like to reach out to us via email, you can find us at no limits at WFYI.org. Allie writes, I am a Job for America's graduates teacher in Indiana where we teach college and career readiness skills. My goal is always to show my students the breadth of job opportunities that exist and the various routes you can take to get there. Some of my students don't want to go to college and think this will lead them to fail. There are amazing programs like Build Your Future Indiana that try to promote construction and trade opportunities. Think about our current need to improve infrastructure, as well as the tremendous growth in IT. What can we do to better support programs that are in place already and trying to provide training certifications? How can we attract more people to these jobs? Should I go? Jason and Michael are looking at each other. One of you has to speak here, Jason. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll go first. I think um, one of the things that we are really excited about uh, that Mayor Hogsett has really been a leader on is what we call the Regional Workforce Partnership, uh, which has created really an unprecedented level of coordination between organizations that are involved in the workforce development space. Uh, so it's enabled... Uh, Employee Indy or the Workforce Investment Board to really target its resources and energy towards youth um, and towards people who are pursuing uh, the trades um, and other potential pathways that ultimately lead to a job. Um, and uh, I'm really excited by the the leadership at Employee Indy today, um, and that has enabled Ascend to focus more on um, you know, those that are pursuing an associate's degree. Uh, and beyond, um, and then to coordinate with the Chamber of Commerce, the city, Ivy Tech, uh, all of our partners to 
to really try to target our efforts in ways that are ultimately going to be beneficial and lead to the lead to jobs that are part of the middle class. I mentioned earlier that I, I do think marketing is part of the problem, and and that um, you know manufacturing is cool, it's modern. Uh, same with construction. And uh, we are part of a coalition with an organization called Conexus that's in Jason's shop, C-O-N-E-X-U-S. Um, and their goal is to try to get to kids um, at younger and younger ages to get that message to them. And um, one of the ways that they do that is by getting to the guidance counselors and, and teachers. And so um, that's that's a program that we literally can't scale fast enough to, to catch up with the demand just in our current workforce. How much of this, and I, I, we've alluded to the election a couple of times, during this conversation, and I know, um, you know, that the election of, of President-elect Trump has has been referred to as a revolt of the working class, of rural America, of folks who feel like their lifestyles and their careers are under assault or even, even disappearing. Since then, there's also been a lot of analysis from right, left, and center that there's not a whole lot that can be done about that, that it's not just about outsourcing. It's also the fact that automation is replacing a lot of these jobs. New technology is 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 coming in. What that leads me to is how much of this is also just about educating the workforce itself, that it is people are going to have to adapt throughout their careers because these changes are coming and they aren't going to go away. Kathleen. Well, it you know, again, when we think of college, we often think of those 18-year-olds coming right out of high school, and, and those are the people that we're talking about. The reality is those are only about half of the people we're talking about. Um, the mid-career folks, the folks that need to skill up, um, that need to adapt, and as a previous um, caller said something about, well, what if you don't have any college? These are the kinds of these certifications, these small bite programs where you can come in for a few weeks or one semester and um, skill up to the next level to make yourself more employable or continually employable. And we have to applaud companies like uh, Allison's as as a good example, who's constantly working with their workforce to make sure that they're achieving that next um, step in, in in their career, but also in what Allison as a company needs to keep their workforce here current. And, and if I can, I just want to go back to um, the question about Jobs for America's uh, graduates. The JAG program is an incredibly strong program that really helps students understand um, what's out there for them. And I know a lot of them are scared by college, but I've also seen a lot of JAG graduates come in to the college uh, really excited about stepping forward. So I don't want to. Uh, I want to underscore. Thank you for your service to that program because it's such a great program. And Michael. and Michael's going to jump in here. Yeah, so. Michael. Sorry, <laughs> go for it. Okay. I can't stop myself. Yeah. Um, this is. I know. I know. Where I know. I know. This is a controversial topic, especially given the recent election news of the day. But yeah. it's. You know, a recent study that I saw from Brookings Institution said that nearly 90% of manufacturing jobs are actually lost to automation and digitization um, as opposed to offshoring. And don't get me wrong, when jobs are lost due to any of those factors, it's a tragic thing Mm -hmm. uh, for an individual. It can be a tragic thing for a family. But um, even if as a country um, some policy or approach gets put in place that slows the rate of um, you know, offshoring jobs, for, for instance, um, those cycles of change and modernization are still only going to get faster. Mm-hmm. And so the best way that we know as a community to deal with it in the long term is to strengthen what Jason and Kathy call these these talent pipelines, get out in front of the problem, whether it's a young student or an experienced worker, so that they understand how they can reinvest in their own future and how employers can, again, recognize their own self-interest, not do it for charity, recognize their own own self-interest and invest in their own workforce so that we can help get in front of these cycles of change. Jason. Yeah, and I would echo uh, that sentiment. I think when you look at um, capital is likely to follow increases in productivity and things like artificial intelligence, automation, autonomous vehicles, mm-hmm. um, robotics, those those are unlikely. Um, we're not going to see a decrease um, in improvements in productivity as a result of technology. And so I think we need to be candid with people about where the economy is headed. 
um, and then take the steps that we need, as Michael said, to get out in front of it um, and make sure that we're uh, that our workforce has the education they need to participate in that economy. And this is probably an opportune moment for me to remind our listeners that, yes, we do have a crew out ready to cover the carrier announcement uh, in in just a little while. We're talking about closing the skills gap here on No Limits. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can do what a listener named Kimball has done and give us a call at 866-476-3881. Kimball, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'd like to uh, put a little plug in uh, for, for you all to remember that the traditional soft skills or people skills are very much in demand and in need right now. I happen to work in healthcare in particular. I'm a uh, I work in behavioral health. I happen to have a master's degree myself, but um, uh, counselors are woefully underrepresented. We just we cannot hire enough in our industry. So um, I, I love to hear about all the technical and manufacturing things, but also the people skills are just as important. I really uh, uh, appreciate your uh, the comments from your panelists about that issue too. Thanks very much for the call, Kimball. Jason. So. I completely agree. I also want to commend you for the work that you're doing. Um, if you look at behavioral health, and you know, specifically we've talked a lot about what's happening with the increase in opiate addiction in our society and in our community um, and the need for people entering into the behavioral health workforce uh, is critical. But a large part of uh, why we're unable to address uh, the opiate challenge and other challenges related to mental health um, is because uh, we don't uh, have enough people with the soft skills and with the educational attainment to fill those jobs. Um, and so I think you're absolutely right that soft skills are a critical component, um, and we need to do everything in our power to dir- uh, direct education in that way. Got an email from a listener. I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Dio. Uh, and again, if you want to reach out to us via email, you can find us at no limits at WFYI.org. Dio writes, I am a non traditional student, and what I have noticed is that the millennial entrepreneur is more prevalent due to the Internet and the ease at which certain low-level skills are accessible. Also, the college landscape is built more towards learning how to create the job you want. Now, I'll throw that one to Kathleen. Well, I, I think that's true, and it probably varies a little bit from uh, higher ed institution to higher ed institution um, as students come in with the thought process. We were talking about this just the other day. We get a lot of students who come into our hospitality program, and if you ask them the first semester, they will all tell you their goal is to open their own restaurant. And they're everything from fusion restaurants to um, a a whole variety of things. But by the time they get through another semester or two, um, their understanding of the business model and the business plan sometimes narrows them down and, and they focus a little bit. So I do think the millennial student comes in, and I'm sure that social media and the internet has cause them to think differently than those of us, I'll speak for myself, in the baby boom generation um, did about coming in and getting four years of school and then I'll get a job. They're now willing to play with it a little bit more. And the non-traditional student working full-time, coming and going, picking up little bits of a degree or a certificate over a longer period of time is much more the norm than folks realize. I want to speak. We're getting close to the the end here, and we have not really addressed what I think of as the urgency question. I've seen an awful lot of of research that indicates we're looking at what could be a very significant worldwide labor shortage by the year 2030, which now is what four, well, 13 years away almost, um, and that the places that do not uh, um, meet this challenge, the consequences are likely to be Darwinian. Mm -hmm. So I'd like for us to talk a little bit about, you know, what the consequences are of not solving this problem, of not meeting this. Michael. Well, in in my role as paid cheerleader for Indianapolis, um, I have to – you know, remind the listeners of Sis Boomba. That's right. No, <laughs> right. I. You know the the manufacturing job loss. So uh, you know, two hundred thousand manufacturing job losses in the last two decades. If you can point to one thing that has impacted the poverty rate, the crime rate, so many of the other factors that um, you know our, our our civic leaders get up and every day and and worry about, 
It's that manufacturing job loss. And um, with all the great things, we are so fortunate for a metropolitan area of 2 million people to have this life sciences sector, this tech sector, this uh, manufacturing, sports, these great sectors. But if we don't address this and scale it, um, we do risk the the poverty rate continuing to rise. And if we can't um, invest in different interventionist uh, strategies, and this is a really important one, um, we could look like a city that's got that's got you know um, uh, that where those those divisions, those uh, class divisions, um, and and uh, income levels that where the gaps rise. And and I'm saying that as as the as the chamber of commerce, um, it's not it's not right, and it's not good for business and not good for the economy. Kathleen. You know, we're at a point now where we're working with folks who are into third and fourth generation poverty. And if we don't um, step in and find a way to break some of those cycles, things are just going to get more and more difficult for us. to. Con- they don't know what they don't know. And to get them into the industries where we need them to be, um, we have to address things like food deserts and uh, access to education, and I mean, things that are topics for many more shows in mm-hmm. the future. And we have done many of those yes, shows exactly. already. Jason. Yeah, so I think there's an incredible sense of urgency to tackle this. I think the implications are for individual families, um, a decreasing likelihood that they'll be part of the American middle class, which so many Americans associate with the American dream, which means they're going to be less able to take care of their children in the way that they would like and ensure that they have uh, access to the education that they aspire to. Um, and I think at a city level, it means, um, you know, less tax revenue to fund our streets and to fund our parks and to fund the things that make a community a wonderful place to live and work. And I think at a macro level, we're talking about social and political unrest. Um, and with this last election, um, if you believe that that was part of it, I think we're, we're at the leading edge of this um, around the globe the bright side is I think the city of Indianapolis and Indiana is uniquely positioned um, because of the higher education infrastructure that we have uh, as a community, because of our civic infrastructure and philanthropic institutions, um, and because of our low cost of labor and doing business. I think we have a unique uh, opportunity here to to get out in front of it and address it in a way that's going to be differentiating Indianapolis from other major metropolitan areas around the country and around the world. Michael, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. We're seeing the private sector and the philanthropic sector step out now more than ever, John, to address these problems. And it, it, this is a really exciting initiative, support for mass transit. Um, we didn't get the early childhood education program we wanted, so we created our own. And this is just another example of partnerships. And so I also am very optimistic about the future. That, I think, will have to be the last word. I would like to remind our listeners and encourage them to stay put because we are going to be covering the carrier announcement with uh, President-elect Trump, Vice President-elect and Indiana Governor Michael Pence. We've got a crew out there right now. I'd like to thank my guests, Jason Cloth, President and CEO of Ascend Indiana, Michael Huber, who is the President and CEO of the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce, and Dr. Kathleen Lee, who is the Chancellor of Ivy Tech Community College, Central Indiana, for what has been a lively and illuminating conversation. I am John Kroll. You've been listening to no, to no Limits. Thank you for joining us. No Limits is a production of 90.1 WFYI Public Radio, Indianapolis. Executive producer, Michelle Johnson. Producer, Shannon Cagle. Interactive media coordinator, Scott McAllister. Technical producers, Cedric Freeman and Chris Flood. And board engineer, Joe Hatcher. Abby Cherzini screens our calls. No Limits is made available through IPBS, Indiana's public broadcasting stations. Music.